This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. And we have to dive into this next topic because a proposed agreement on land rights and title have been reached between Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs and uh, federal government ministers and provincial ministers here in B.C., uh, bringing three long days of negotiation in Smithers to a close. And we are thinking that tentatively this is resolving a long-standing dispute over the First Nations traditional territory? Here's Carolyn Bennett. I think what was made clear that it is that it remains unresolved. And I think that I think Chief Wass uh, at the press conference yesterday, um, um, you know, was clear that, uh, that uh, on behalf of the hereditary chiefs, they still do not um, approve this project. Um, but I think that we were, uh, I think, very pleased to see that 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 the honesty um, with which the the three governments, the joint statement on on the discussions with the Wasotan uh, rights and title, um, was uh, able to be made by uh, by the Wasotan uh, as well as the government of British Columbia and the government of Canada. So for us to come together to be honest about where we are on these two separate issues, uh, I think was a uh, was, was was truly important. That Carolyn Bennett speaking uh, with Simi Sarah this morning on CKNW Mornings. And um, I'm not sure about you, but that didn't explain much as I was listening to it. And there was seven minutes to the interview that, that Simi conducted and much of it left us all kind of scratching our heads as to where things really go from here. So that's why we're calling in the big guns. Our uh, Global BC Chief Political Reporter and Legislative Bureau Chief Keith Baldry joins on the line. Hey, Keith. Hey, morning, Jody. Good morning. What do you make of what uh, Minister Bennett said this morning on CKNW with Simi? Pretty evasive comments, I think, from the minister in her conversation with Simi, uh, not providing a lot of clarity or very little clarity to exactly what was reached uh, in terms of an agreement up there. It seems clear, though, as she did mention, there were two topics that, on the table. One was the uh, ancestral rights and title of the Wet'suwet'en. Uh, the other one was the, the coastal gasoline pipeline. The pipeline has been the thing in the news, obviously, in recent weeks with blockades and protests and such. The other subject has been probably long, well, long overdue for resolution. That, that dates back to the 1997 Dalgamuk uh, case in the Supreme Court of Canada, which established that the Wet'suwet'en do indeed have uh, unextinguished title over their land, but it left hanging the question of how much land and where, and that has to be resolved, and perhaps they made some progress at that, on that topic at at the table, but the other one uh, remains unresolved, and they mentioned that in in the joint statement that came out late yesterday from from all sides, uh, agreed that they have unresolved issues uh, still remaining when it comes to that coastal gasoline pipeline, the hereditary chiefs making public comments yesterday, they remain in opposition to the pipeline. So the, the big question is, you know, what happens to the blockades and protests? And right. from my read, it seems that they're just going to continue that as if nothing happened. Having said that, now the Wasoatan are going to take two weeks to ratify this agreement. And perhaps in the context of that, um, they figure a way uh, to a conclusion of the Coastal Gas Link issue. It's entirely possible the hereditary chiefs may change their position within the within that confine of their own people as they go through this process for two weeks. And I think at the end of the day, a lot of people increasingly come to the conclusion that only the Wasoatan can solve this issue. Uh, an, uh, 
an imposition of a, of a, a conclusion or result on them is likely not going to fare very well because I don't think uh, either the federal or provincial government are in a position to be able to do that. And even if the hereditary chiefs and the elected chiefs uh, come together and find a way to agree to disagree on the coastal gas link pipeline, but then agree on how to move forward with this, mm-hmm. you know, even if they don't, you know, two weeks from now become unanimous on the subject, which I think would be a stretch given um, mm-hmm. how acrimonious this whole process has been, but getting everybody at the table. I mean, for so many weeks now, Keith, you and I have talked almost daily mm-hmm. on, on the, are they, are they having a planning meeting? Okay, now we're going to get to the smoke and then they're all going to sit down and everybody's talking to everybody, but are they? And n- nothing happens. So I guess the one thing we get from this three days in Smithers is that at least the, the conversation has been opened with some clear honesty on the table as to where everybody stands. Yeah, no, I th- still think it's a pivotal moment, um, and we'll see just how pivotal it is in, in the in the weeks ahead. But uh, sh- surely this meeting was far preferable than it continuing to be uh, entrenched positions that don't uh, talk to each other. So yeah. it, it, it's encouraging on that front. The other thing, Jody, I wonder if whether or not the genie's out of the bottle now, and whether even if the hereditary chiefs stand down their opposition to this pipeline. The protest here simply leapfrogs the coastal gas link pipeline and attaches itself to the Trans Mountain pipeline because I think as summer approaches, we're going to see increased protests associated with that pipeline and we may well indeed see blockades and, and other uh, major protests associated with that uh, pipeline, no matter what's uh, determined or ultimately resolved with the coastal gas link one. Right, because we were expecting that. We've been talking about mm-hmm. how that we expect that to wrap up spring and summer when the weather gets good. Burnaby Mountain, here we go again. We weren't well, even looking CGL. Well, the, the question on Trans Mountain, though, uh, mass arrest on Burnaby Mountain is one thing. That doesn't inconvenience the public. It's, right. it's, it's theater for television and, and such. But if we see that suddenly progress or, or transform itself into, again, rail blockades or blockades in downtown Vancouver, that becomes quite a different matter. And that has an economic impact. And that's why you're seeing, continuing to see the, the, the downside of basically these rail blockades, which leave a bunch of ships in, out of our west coast lying in moorage in, in Anchorage, unable to come into Vancouver port to pick up uh, their, their cargo because there is no cargo. Nothing's moving on the trains to the point where ships can actually uh, pick this stuff up and move it to market. So it's, uh, Trans Mountain Pipeline could become a much bigger issue in terms of protest because, again, if, it's, if it leaves Burnaby Mountain on a blockades, we're into a whole different chapter. Now, the chiefs at the meeting, uh, we understood from Minister Bennett that the chiefs said that they felt it wasn't their place to dictate any lifting of blockades. Mm-hmm. That surprises a little, does it not? Well, it's interesting. I mean, the more we go through this, the more we learn about the, those hereditary chiefs and, and their views, not always consistent, but uh, it's interesting that if, if they're not going to tell the Mohawk to stand down their blockade in Ontario and the Mohawk continue with the blockade, then things become potentially explosive in that province with uh, the Ontario Provincial Police and perhaps even down the road the military because I don't think a rail blockade can be allowed to stand forever. But it's interesting, the hereditary chiefs, I'm not surprised at the position of not telling another First Nations what to do because that is a tradition of First Nations. One doesn't tell another nation what to do. Now, Global BC's Sarah McDonald is going to be joining us at uh, 12.18 this afternoon Mm -hmm. for her perspective from Smithers. But she did send out a note a little bit earlier today, sort of just reiterating uh, what happened at the table and what this draft deal reached between the Office of the Wet'suwet'en and the provincial and federal governments over the weekend means and how it won't actually directly impact coastal gas link projects. And, And if it is ratified then it's it's not retroactive like it's no. interesting to look at sort of it in for what it is i guess 
Yeah, no, it's uh, very much. Uh, everybody keeps using the the, the phrase forward looking, and it's uh, it's not retroactive. What whatever they reached up up there, it will have an impact though, right? Presumably on future projects and resource projects that take place within land um, considered ancestral title to uh, by the Wasotan. So it's uh, it may have a, it will likely have an impact on future development. Whether it has an impact on coastal gas link right now, it doesn't because coastal gas link issued a statement last night they're coming they're resuming construction activities as of today, as of this morning. So that's resuming. Uh, what, where that leads to in terms of protest and injunction to fires remains to be seen. But uh, I think yesterday's agreement logically is going to affect future projects rather than past ones. And it's interesting, uh, Sarah also noted that the project, the Coastal Gasoline Project, is on track for completion in 2023, yep. according to the company. Keith, I just got an email, you likely did too, from Sarah McDonald uh, saying that the RCMP are resuming patrols on Wet'suwet'en territory. Uh, the RCMP has just confirmed to Sarah uh, they are now resume, resuming those patrols on the Maurice West Forest Service Road, which is on Wet'suwet'en territory outside Houston, uh, with work resuming at the Coastal Gaslink uh, work site. But the CISO outpost still remains shuttered at this point, and the RCMP patrols uh, ceasing was a major condition for the office of Wet'suwet'en when it came to talks with government officials. So what do you make of that? Well, you know, what, what the conditions the Wasoatan had was uh, RCMP had to stand down and back back off, and um, and that's and and Coastal Gasoline had to stop construction activities. Both of those occurred, and now that the talks are over, both of those are back on, and we'll see now whether this, this leads to more protests or an escalation of protests. Maybe the temperature is rising up there, but uh, I'm not entirely surprised by this because I think uh, they're also there to provide protection to Coastal Gasoline workers. And clearly, it's an unresolved uh, situation, as was, as was made clear in the joint statement from all the parties ye- yesterday afternoon. Indeed. And speaking of unresolved situations, uh, coronavirus, uh, COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Interesting to note, I went to Twitter and I saw that hashtag Corona outbreak was uh, trending, 76,000 plus tweets. So I clicked on it and popping up at the top of my Twitter feed is a, a window that says, know the facts, information and resources on the novel coronavirus and available from the Public Health Agency of Canada with a button that links you directly to the Public Health Agency of Canada with all sorts of great information. Yeah, no, uh, I think you're going to see a lot of uh, health officers, medical health officers in both provinces, federally and in the United States, step up and really provide a lot of public uh, information and education here. You're going to, you know, you look at the B.C. government's uh, plan for a pandemic, which would occur, which occurs when you have a new strain of flu that nobody's had before, and suddenly it becomes very widespread in a population and leaps borders, and, and there's not much you can do in terms of stopping it. But one thing you will be hearing, a big a big part of that, uh, plan of the BC government and other governments as well is public education and public awareness and messaging. And so you're going to hear a lot of things, basically s- some consistency, which is basically wash your hands constantly and actually do it well. There's a number of videos actually circulating, if you can believe this, of how to wash your hands. And people think, oh, I'll just run my hands underwater. But no, uh, it's uh, you have to really be aggressive when it comes to washing your hands. Also, the other message is if you feel sick, stay home, don't go to work. Uh, and infect your your colleagues. So you're going to be hearing a lot of this from provincial health officers and a lot of creative videos in the weeks ahead. And the washing of hands, having a 12-year-old, I am the queen of that's not right, that's not long enough, that's not the right Mm -hmm. temperature, that's not the right amount of soap, you need to soap your... But being the daughter of uh, a lab tech, my mom was the queen of washing hands because she worked with viruses every day trying to figure out uh, how to treat them. 
Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's an interesting piece when people think, you know, well, I always wash my hands. It's like, yes, you wash your hands, but then you touch your phone, you touch your steering wheel, you touch your door handle, you you know, you just walk through a place or you held onto the railing on the stairway in the mall. Like everything you touch transfers from one to the next to the next. And when you wrap your head around that and you start washing your hands accordingly, that can help immensely. In terms of um, the government piece, though, Keith, what are you hearing? Anything behind the scenes with regard to how things are being dealt with? Because in Canada, it really feels like we do have a handle on this because we did learn so much from the SARS outbreak. Well, it's a different virus than SARS, and that is going to be more widespread, but it's not as serious as SARS, which right. is quite a high mortality rate. Uh, but uh, had a lot of conversations with Adrian Dix here and Bonnie Henry, Dr. Bonnie Henry, the provincial health officer, and their approach right now is what they call uh, aggressive containment, which is really do as much testing as possible to find out who has this. And then when you, when you establish a case, uh, search around that person and make sure it doesn't go any farther than, than where it already is. So contain that virus within a smaller group of people. But over time, I wonder how effective that's going to be and whether or not the virus simply leapfrogs the ability to actually contain it. And certainly we're seeing down in the United States now. And one, one thing I found interesting, uh, uh, Jody, on this is last week, Adrian Dix, or the Center for Disease Control posted the statistics more than a thousand people have been tested in BC for the virus. That compares to 600 in all of the United States. All so the United up. States testing ability, <coughs> excuse me, is uh, is just simply not as good as Canada because every test in, in the States goes through Atlanta. It's a very much a centralized system down there. So they're unable to detect this virus uh, in the same way that we can in Canada. We do we do more, much more testing here. And it was alarming to find out yesterday that two people have died in Seattle. And you're now starting to see more and more people in the United States with this. And just logically, that's going to have a big impact on Canada because of the travel between the two borders. A lot of people may be walking around with this virus in, in some jurisdictions without even knowing that they actually have it because in some cases, the symptoms cannot be as serious as they are associated with other uh, flu viruses. They're so mild, in fact, that people might not, might not even think they have a cold, never yeah. mind the coronavirus, COVID-19. Going back to the initial uh, directive that maybe some of us who are like, if you can walk, you can work uh, stay home well stay home here's where it gets um uh, potentially difficult a lot of people don't have paid time off right. when they're sick uh if you have paid days sick days that's fine but a lot of people you know missing one day's pay is a big deal for them and for them they may think well you know i don't feel that bad i'm going to go to work and that's where it gets hard to to actually combat this virus because i think a lot of people will be going to work having the virus without actually realizing they have it and potentially infect uh, a lot of their colleagues so this thing's going to get a lot worse before it gets better and when we come to the hot question of the day with regard to uh basically your level of concern now you're covering this on a regular basis. I cover this on a regular basis. I asked Gord McDonald his take on it, but I, I, I'm really curious as to what you think after seeing the pictures that were circulated over the weekend showing panic shoppers, you know, stockpiling supplies and mm-hmm. those fears were triggered by COVID-19. Um, how concerned are you? Are you very concerned, somewhat concerned, not concerned? I'm very concerned, and I'm not, not concerned so much of that I think I'm going to get sick. I'm very concerned on the the global impact this could have on pe- not only on people's lives, but on the on the global economy and our local economy as well. Is you, if you see people staying home, not participating in uh, in economic activity, if you see a shortage of goods in the stores, people somewhat panicking, stocking up on things, all this together I think leads to a heightened level of concern. So yes, I'm very concerned, again, not 
because I think I'm going to get necessarily quite ill. I just think uh, on a mass scale, this is going to have an impact, the likes of which we haven't seen for some time. And we, we have to look out for our neighbours, as you mentioned. Not everybody can mm-hmm. afford a 14-day self-quarantine. Yeah. Uh, Keith, thank you, as always, for your Thanks. perspective and your honesty. I really appreciate it. That's Global BC Chief Political Reporter, um, Legislative Bureau Chief Keith Baldry.